This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, and welcome to episode six of Killer Hangover. This week, we have a true crime story and a paranormal one from Missouri. Yes. And what makes this even more fun is that is where I live. So I chose the true crime story. It's a little close to home. And mom, since you did the... Sorry, I am so out of breath. I just chased my stupid dog (laughs) around the neighborhood. (sighs) Okay. Anyway. I need a beverage, Mom. What did you bring for me? So if anybody drinks beer, you probably will have heard of Boulevard Brewing Company. And if you haven't, you need to go now and find some. They specialize in all kinds of beer. I'm not a big beer drinker. I um, am. But their wheat beer is phenomenal. Yes. So Mom, even though she did the paranormal, she knew me living in Kansas City. She was like, I want to do this, so go grab it for me. So I picked up a sample pack. Woohoo. Um, so mom, there's a few in here. There's Boulevard Wheat, there's Oatmeal Raisin Cookie, Centennial India Pale Ale, and the original Boulevard Pale Ale. Which would you like? I'm going for the wheat. Of course. But I definitely want to taste He's that basic. That here oat- it is. I want to taste that oatmeal one. Okay, and then I would like you to open this one for me. I wanna do the, yeah, I wanna do the oatmeal raisin cookie. All right, I'm excited about this. Ooh, that's really good. I'm not had this one. Wow, I am not kidding at all. That totally tastes like an oatmeal raisin cookie. It really does. Oh my gosh! So if you like beer and you like oatmeal Oatmeal raisin, you're gonna be in heaven. (laughs) Seriously though, guys, try it. Take a picture. Tag us in it. Post it on some social out there. So, mom, how's your week? Ah, delicious. I this know. is always it's, good. It's so good. It never fails. And mom wanted to split a bottle while we recorded this. She crazy. She crazy. Okay. Cray cray. Oh God, don't ever say that again. <laughs> cray cray. My little brother is rolling his eyes right now at you. Okay. <clears throat> Let's get serious. The story I'm going to tell, the true crime story I'm telling this week is fairly similar to the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway, the one that you told last week. Right. And that this jerk went after sex workers as his targets. Okay, so he did not kill nearly as many women as Ridgway, but he killed enough that... I can't even think of another word besides blown away. I am absolutely flabbergasted, but I bet you, everybody get out your phones or pull up Google on your computer... And Google serial killers of Kansas City. I'll give you time okay, to just type a it minute. in. Mom's doing, doing it on her phone. Okay, got it. Okay. And so everybody can take some time to Google it. 
And I want you to look through your Google ser- Google searches for Lorenzo Gilliard, G-I-L-Y-A-R-D. Now, everybody's Google searches is going to be a little different depending on past searches and everything, but I bet most of you he won't even be on the first page. Just Googling serial killers of Kansas City, he is either not on the first page or he's at the very bottom. And that just blows me away because he killed 13 women. Is it because his victims were sex workers? Is it because he was black? Is it because the locations of these killings being in the Midwest? Is it because 13 murders isn't enough to get good press? I don't know the answer, but it seriously, seriously blows me away. No kidding. Yeah, I can't pull them. Yeah. Podcasts. I've looked up news articles and it's just so I'm going to do my best to cover this case. I'm going to give a timeline of it. I'm very passionate about this case uh, because a lot. I mean, this is episode six. And I think, mom, you can attest for this. When we start our serial kill killer looking up and all of the stuff, the first thing I usually do is look at Wikipedia and I look at (laughs) I even donated because I used it so often. (laughs) But you basically you go and you start at Wikipedia and then you go from there and you find more research. His Wikipedia page is tiny. So I had to do a ton of research on my own. I'm here to tell you about the killings of 13 women done here in my very own city, Kansas City, by Lorenzo Gilliard, known as the Kansas City Strangler. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Lorenzo was born on May 24th, 1950. Now, like I said, there's not a lot out there on Lorenzo, so I cannot tell you for a fact that his childhood was tough. It could have possibly been picturesque. I have no idea. But what I did find was several different reports that in his teen years, he would harass and even beat and bully female peers. Oh, really? At the age of 17, Lorenzo's girlfriend, she went by Renna Hill in the interviews that I saw. She got pregnant. So they got married. I say this now because I couldn't find specifics on other dates and such, but Lorenzo was married four times. Four times. He must have had some kind of charisma. Yeah. And it's stated in several different sources as well that he had 11 children. Holy smoke. He had more than charisma. (laughs) So in a statement years later, Renna stated that her marriage to Lorenzo was absolutely horrible. He was abusive. He would rape her, and he would even be incredibly strict on what rooms of the home she could be in at certain times. Are you kidding me? She said that in the five years that she was with him, it was basically torture, and she was pretty much restricted to the bedroom. That oh, he good Lord. was really into like fancy things and having nice things, but like she couldn't touch them. Oh, what a horrible man. But in 1970, when Lorenzo was 20 years old, his father was convicted of rape. In 1983, his sister Patricia Dixon worked as a sex worker, and she was convicted of murder after stabbing one of her customers to death. Oh, geez. She stabbed him 11 times over $35. They were fighting over $35. Oh, my gosh. As well as she also killed another sex worker. And then in 1989, his brother, Daryl, was convicted of drug-related murder and is serving time without parole. 
I'm I'm seeing uh, a bit of anger issues going on in this family. So I would assume his childhood was not picturesque. I can't imagine it would be. So let's hear about Lorenzo's story. This man had over a dozen rape accusations and none of them, none of them stuck. In 74, he was sent to jail for only nine months for the molestation. Now, it is not exactly clear if this 13-year-old was a friend's daughter or a friend's sister, but nonetheless, Lorenzo molested her, and he was sent to jail for nine months. And it was during this time that he did see a psychiatrist while he was there. He was court-ordered to see one. Right. And in the record, it states how he was convinced that... And he tried to convince the psychiatrist that he was the victim and 13-year-old was lying. And so he just always claims so victim. nothing happened or she came on She's to lying. him? She's totally lying. Is nothing just, happened. Yes. And he was released to the world. A year after his release, his first victim, another teenager, was killed. Oh. In April of 1977, 17-year-old Stacy Swafford was found naked and dumped in an empty lot she had been raped and her death was caused by strangulation 1978 lorenzo started working as a maintenance man in an apartment building and in early 1979 lorenzo was charged with the rape of one of the tenants he was charged with rape as well as kidnapping he apparently raped this woman while holding a gun on her boyfriend despite evidence in 1980, the jury acquitted him. I don't see how that could happen. Dropped all the charges. Let this man free. It, it He just just scooted through everything. Just all these accusations, all this stuff on his record, and goes to trial. And the jury, nah. I, I just. Well, he must have really known charisma. how to play the system. Charisma. And, yeah. 1980. So he's 30 years old at this time lorenzo was uh has a disgustingly busy year january of 1980 his youngest victim 15 year old gwendolyn kazin i'm so sorry k-i-z-i-n-e she was another sex worker she's found dead left naked in an alley she had been raped and her death was caused by strangulation it is also during this year that his third wife files for divorce as well as convicting him of uh, assault and battery. Mm. While this case is under appeal, Lorenzo started stalking this this third wife. She states that he stalked and he pistol whipped her, not just once, twice. Is this after their divorce or? So she files for divorce and they're in court. And while it's all going through all of its process, because, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. He stalks her and pistol whips her on two different occasions. On one of the occasions, he beat her so badly, he broke her front teeth. He was put on probation. What the heck? In May 1982, another sex worker, Margaret J. Miller, was found dead left naked in an empty lot in downtown Kansas City. She had been found the blue stocking cap stuffed in her mouth. She had been raped, and her death caused by strangulation by her own jogging top. Okay, are cops putting anything together at this time? Nope. Not long after Margaret's body was found, Lorenzo was sent to prison. What was he sent to prison for, you ask? I did ask that. Oh, yes. (laughs) Our favorite word burglary oh god i can't stand that word (laughs) so all this crap that he's doing to these women beating them raping them 
killing falls them. by the wayside so now it's just he it doesn't matter they're not he's not getting caught for any of that he's getting caught for for theft because i can't say burglary <laughs> he had broken his parole from the assaults on his third wife uh-huh uh-huh and had tried to rob i believe a jewelry store i'm not exactly sure and so he's sent to his first stint at state prison the kansas city streets were safe for okay. four years yeah it would have been shorter, but after serving his original sentence, he had like issued a bomb threat somewhere, and so he went back into prison. So he was he was there for four years. Oh, ding dong. So now in January 1986, Lorenzo Gilliard is 36 years old, is freshly released from prison, and is time for a fresh start. He begins working as a local sanitation worker at Deffenbaugh. If you live in the Kansas City area, yep, that's the trash truck that comes around your neighborhood. He is well-liked there. He's the friendly guy there. He currently has three murders under his belt, but he's undetected for all of them. He's not even a suspect. March 14, 1986, Catherine Barry is found under a piece of scrap plywood a few miles from downtown at an abandoned public works building in Kansas City. Not that this matters at all, but Catherine was said to be suffering from a mental illness, and she actually was the only victim of Lorenzo's that was not a sex worker. She wasn't. She was married, had three children, and several sources stated that she was suffering a mental illness that had her living on the streets. Oh, dear. Okay. So she would occasionally take rides from strangers, and this is... I'm assuming, and so were the police, this is how Gilliard got her in his car. And just like he was pick picking up all the sex workers, so he just picked her up. And that's how they believe she became the victim to Lorenzo. She was found with a bl black stocking around her neck, naked, raped, and her death was caused by strangulation. August 16, 1986, Naomi Campbell, a 23-year-old business school student, oh. single mom, was working as a sex worker just to make ends meet, right. was found dead in a park. She had been raped, was found strangled by a towel, and left naked. Thanksgiving morning, November 27, 1986, the body of Debbie Blevins was found outside of a church. Not far, if you live in Kansas City, this is not far from the trendy Westport neighborhood downtown. She was found naked except for a pair of socks. She had been raped, cause of death, strangulation. Spring of 1987. Okay, so that's three in one year. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Spring of 1987, the body of Ann Barnes is found. It was April 17th, 10-year anniversary of his very first victim. Think about how long this has been going on. Stacy Swafford, his first victim. So Anne, like the others, was found raped, cause of death, strangulation. Two months later, early June 1987, Kelly Ann Ford was found, strangled, raped, and posed, left naked except for one sock in a park in Kansas City. So I want to pause here and just say... I don't want it to seem that I am just listing these women and that's all they're left to is just being raped, strangled, left naked. I don't want it to seem I don't care about these women by just listing it, not giving the detail of who they are as people. But I can't tell you enough how little is out there. 
I can't tell you about these women. I can't go in depth about these women. It's not listed out there. So just keep in mind as I list them, and I give this terrible timeline, these aren't just sex workers. They were women. They were trying to make it work. They were people. Or somebody's daughter. They had somebody's, friends, some family, of their mothers. people yeah. that loved them, and they were taken. And in such a terrible, horrible way. Strangulation is, is just awful. It's not quick by any means. There is a lot of suffering that goes into that. So even though I'm just sitting here and I'm just listing them, just please remember this, these human souls that were taken. So September of 1987, another body, the body of 19-year-old Angela Mayhew, is found in North Kansas City. Now, this discovery was a little different. She showed no signs of sexual assault. She had been strangled and left naked. December of 1987, the body of 36-year-old Sheila Ingold is found in a van on Troost Avenue in downtown Kansas City. Uh, Sheila had been raped. She was discovered naked in the van. Her death was strangulation. Now, even though we get no answers right here, right now, in that situation, just know that this scene right here eventually does lead to an ending for Lorenzo. Okay, this was case it her, right here. Was it her van? or No. Whose van was it? It was in a van lot. So I think it was like a car dealership or this guy just sold a bunch of vans. So it is a lot. Oh. And Sheila was actually a friend of Lorenzo's girlfriend or like an ex-girlfriend or something. So there's a tie. So there was a tie. And Lorenzo was seen at like a quick stop or something, like a grocery store or like a gas station store or something right across the street. Oh. Uh, so he was a suspect in this murder. Now, again, they're not tying all of these murders together. They're just looking at just Sheila Ingolds, and he was a suspect in Sheila Ingolds. So they brought him in. They questioned him. He gave his DNA samples, but because of no evidence, they couldn't hold him. And the case went cold. Mm. December 19th, 1987, 30-year-old Carmeline Hibbs was found in a parking garage off Broadway in downtown Kansas City. She, like the others, had been raped. Her cause of death was strangulation. However, she was found clothed, except for the fact that the crotch of her clothing had all been cut out. Oh, jeez. Then there's silence in Kansas City. All these cases are cold. There are no ties of them being to the same killer. Even though the MO is all the same, all sex workers, all found raped and strangled, most found naked, as well as something in most of the cases was stuffed in these women's mouths. Okay, this kind of makes me wonder how many homicides were, were there in Kansas City during that time that these would get overlooked. I, I mean, is Kansas City that inundated with murders? No, where I hope not. <laughs> I don't believe we are. So this is in 1987. DNA is fairly new, right? Yeah, actually, I think that um, the first uh, court conviction was in uh, 1987. Um, I think it was in Florida or someplace. The guy was convicted on DNA. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, it's it new. Is, it is new. It's yeah. a new concept. So then in February 1989... So there's two-year gap? There's a two-year gap. Two-year gap. An Australian nationalist, 26-year-old Helga Kruger, was found on Troost Avenue. And then again, nothing. Throughout 
all of this, Lorenzo is getting promotion after promotion at Deffenbaugh, eventually landing him the gig as supervisor. No way. A past co-worker claimed he was a hardworking, nice guy. He was punctual. He was personable. He was reliable. People close to him even said that he was quick to make a joke. He was, quote, he was the guy you wanted out in the neighborhoods talking to everyone, end quote. Hmm. 1991 Lorenzo marries his fourth wife they move in together in a home on a dead end street behind a church in South Kansas City they have fancy cars one of them I believe was over a hundred thousand dollars well he's probably making pretty good money they traveled yes he lived a happy life they got married in Vegas you know they were he was just so by Elvis or so it seemed in, yeah, by Elvis. I just caught that. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder. The ghost of Elvis. There's our paranormal. <laughs> In January of 93, Lorenzo claimed what is to believe what what is believed to be his last victim, Connie Luther. It had been four years since his last kill. Connie, just like the other women, was found naked strangled with a shoestring around her neck, a sock in her mouth, and she had been raped. The Kansas City Star wrote about Connie. Okay, so I did find an article, so I just want you guys to sit back. I'm going to read the entire article to you guys, okay? The nude body of a Kansas City woman was found Monday on a sidewalk on the Kansas City's west side. The woman, Connie Luther, 29, was found about 6.30 a.m. near 25th and Allen Streets, investigators said. Police think she was killed elsewhere. A man who was driving to work Monday told police he discovered Luther's nude body face down in the snow among leaves and trash. Police have no suspects or motive. An autopsy will be performed to determine the cause of death. That's it. That's the whole article. All these deaths with the same M.O. And this woman's life. I'm surprised the newspaper didn't even pick this up. Usually, That's they the Kansas City Star. That's the biggest newspaper here in Kansas City. Usually they pick up like, hey, we just got a report five years ago that the same thing. Yeah. Connie's whatever. death put into about six sentences. Probably the same amount of minutes it took for her to die as Lorenzo strangled her. It's, it's really sad. It's terribly sad. I know being a police officer, a detective, hell, that whole walk of life has got to be so hard like case after case on last, your desk yeah our I last mean, podcast i mean that that they can even pick somebody out, out yes of thousands of people yes and not only that they're not working on just one case at a time no. i mean they're working to keep everybody safe and i i am not dismissing their hard work by any means i think this day and age all the tv shows you know, you see, go run that DNA, go test that blood supply. And, and then co- blood in a supply. commercial, blood supply. <laughs> yep, they say that. Stat. <laughs> You're mixing your medical shows up with your cop shows. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You're right. But they say, like, go check that blood splatter. Go check that DNA. And then in a commercial's break, they have the answers. There they are. Oh, and it matches this guy. And let's go get the bad guy. In reality, it takes lots of money, lots of resources. And, and it takes a long time, time to get those answers back. Right. It's not just a commercial break. So the universe works in mysterious ways, though. 
in 2003, the city of Kansas City received the city of Kansas City received a grant for $111,000. This money went to paying overtime hours to the state's lab techs to run DNA on cases. Interesting. Cold cases. Excellent. Tests were run. Finally. Now we could afford to do that. We did it. DNA was found matching on all 13 cases. Oh my gosh. That's probably like a... Oh my gosh. Can you just imagine? And because of the DNA that Lorenzo gave in the Sheila Ingold case in 87, he was a hit on all of them. Yeah, of course. Because semen was left behind on all of them. A tail was placed on Mr. Gilliard, and on April 16th, 2004, 11 years since his last murder, 27 years since his first known murder, Lorenzo Gilliard was arrested in a diner in North Kansas City. The state wanted the death penalty, but Gilliard's defense asked for a deal of no death penalty. Instead, they asked for a trial with no jury. This helped speed up his impending doom. Conversations with a friend while he was in prison. They have a Kansas City star got a recording. uh, This is called the Sunflower Law that passed during this time. So they, the star was able to get all of his phone calls that he had while he was in prison. And they put in an article. He said that his trial would come down to, quote, their scientists against my scientists. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Nookie. Lorenzo Gilliard ended with a six life six life sentences and no parole. He's in prison, and the beast will live there till the end of his days. So, why did he stop? Yeah, there's an eleven. Besides the time he was in jail, why did he all of a sudden take pause in what he was doing? Because it was like eleven years, right? Between his last last murder, yeah. I mean, so there's so much research out there. Maybe he was finally just like. He really, I mean, took four wives. Maybe he was finally happy in his marriage and he didn't need to go, I don't know, rape women, unfortunately. I, I don't, I don't know. Well, if he assaulted and raped his previous wives, I wonder how he was treating this fourth wife. She, she wouldn't quote anything. She did divorce him, but she never gave quote or anything. I think she moved away and yeah. Uh, to this day, Lorenzo Gilliard claims he's innocent. Of course. In court, the man's defense stated that... So his defense literally stated that somebody was tailing him. And after he would have sex with a sex worker, this guy that was tailing him would kill that sex worker. I wonder if that guy knew the scientists that were working <laughs> with him. <laughs> I think so. It was a, it was a scientific experiment. God, I think he heard voices or something. Jeez. Yeah, but that's literally what they said in court. That's what his defense stated. Oh, thank God they couldn't pull that off. I mean, he's been so charismatic through his entire life and got away with so much that I'm happy it finally caught up to him. But yes, he claims he is absolutely the victim in all of this, that it's all been pinned on him. And he claims he never gave his DNA. He he thinks they're. <laughs> yep. He says, how do they have my DNA? So he's he was interviewed on Pierce Morgan's serial killer. It's a document. I can never say this dang word. Not a documentary. Documentary. documentary thank you. <laughs> on Netflix. I believe it's episode two. I think I saw that. So 
And he claimed innocence the totally entire the entire time. time. And he got so mad when Pierce Morgan like even named him a serial killer. I mean, he got so mad. And then he got even more mad when Pierce Morgan brought up his fourth wife. He was like, I wish you wouldn't bring her up. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So and she wouldn't talk about him. Huh. One of their conversations, Morgan asked Gilliard, what do you feel, Lorenzo? Should I do it in an accent? I don't know if I can. What do you feel, Lorenzo, about what happened to all these women? Because they were all taken off the streets. They were all strangled. And each strangulation apparently took several minutes. So a gruesome way to die. Was that pretty good? That's not bad. sound like Pierce Morgan, but... I know, Gilliard replied, nodding. So what do you feel about what happened to them? Morgan asked again. And Gilliard said, I feel bad, but there ain't nothing I could do about it. <laughs> oh, my God. So this interview with Gilliard was interesting. I didn't really like how Pierce Morgan portrayed it. He did. He portrayed it. You know, he talked about and showed pictures of the fourth wife and all their cars and their home and, you know, talked about all that. But he didn't really give. He didn't. I don't know if he even stated that it was the fourth wife. And all of these, majority of these murders, except for two, I believe, one or two, happened way before he even met this woman. So Pierce Morgan gives this, like, picturesque, like, you lived a happy life and you were so happy and blessed and had all this money. Why were you doing this? Why are you, like, Jacqueline Hyde when it was almost like two different lifetimes? Mm -hmm. He had this terrible lifetime before where he was killing and his childhood and everything else that he was witness to and lived. And then he married this last woman and not saying that he was a saint after he married this last woman, but it didn't go hand in hand. Does that make sense? Where yeah. Pierce Morgan sets it up that it all happened while he during was that time. Happy. Right. But I do recommend you watching it. It's really interesting to see uh, this little old man. Like he is, he's just this little thin old grandpa looking guy yeah so you can't even imagine uh-uh, him as not at all all these rape victims he looks as innocent murder, as what he says he is which is just crazy crazy it's so crazy so i do recommend you guys watching it you guys inform your own opinion i am not taking a hit on that show it was very interesting mm-hmm. that is basically the end of uh, my story with lorenzo gilliard he will be in jail for the end of time i truly believe End of his time. And then, yes. So. What I find interesting is that he was a trash man, garbage man, whatever mm-hmm. you call him. And he drove a truck and he probably met and saw a lot of women, either stay at home moms sure. or whatever sure. at home that were by themselves. Sure. He never, ever did anything against them. Nope. And he probably could have known exactly what their schedule and everything is but he didn't he chose the sex workers exactly and um, i'm wondering if that has anything to do with i mean his sister was a sex worker uh uh, and and pierce morgan even brought that up in his interview you know what do you how do you feel about sex workers and i don't want to give the whole episode away but he basically called all women prostitutes uh, he said that you know, you take a woman out on a date. What are you going to get from her? You're doing that. You're taking her out and buying her flowers because you're expecting sex. No. Okay. So he loves women, basically. Oh, clearly. So 11 but, children, clearly. But the um, the sex workers were easy prey. 
Very. And they get in their car and and a lot of them, I mean, are very um they're vulnerable. It's it's um a very sad. It's very, very sad. sad. Ugh. So, living in Kansas City and not even really truly knowing about the Kansas City Strangler until Pierce Morgan was like, wait, what? That happened in my city? Interesting, interesting, interesting. Thank you. Oh, yes. You're very welcome. All right. All right, Mom. Tell me a ghost story. All right. This has a bit of ghost story in it, but most of all, the creep factor is not the ghost story. So I am doing mine on the State Lunatic Asylum Number Two in Saint Saint Joseph, Joseph Missouri. Missouri. Oh yes. boy! And when I first started researching this, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I know where that is. I can go and I can go visit this place." And the more I looked into it, it was like, uh, "Do I really want to see this?" Because I just was so creeped out just looking into researching it so oh, i'm so anxious now to hear this <laughs> right. so the state hospital for the insane number two or more known as the lunatic asylum number two so is there a number one there is but i don't know what that is <laughs> there thing one be. and thing two okay we're talking thing this two. this is thing two <laughs> opened in 1874 the first superintendent of the hospital described the institution as, now this is a quote, the noble work of reviving hope in the human heart and dispelling portentous clouds that penetrate the intellects of minds diseased. Okay, so that sounds like there's a lot of hope for these people. I kind They're of going to over while you were reading that. <laughs> I saw your face going, huh? I don't know half of those words. <laughs> so this is wake a, up, everybody. This wake is up. A, this you is there? an intellect. Still there? This is an intellect talking. <laughs> the hospital had 273 beds, bed, beds, beard. Beds to begin I had with. A mouthful. <laughs> I know. It almost went through my nose. <laughs> Bins. The hospital had 273 beds. Gotcha. And began with 25 patients. Soon, 120 beds were added, and then another 250 as more and more hopelessly mentally ill people poured into the hospital. Okay, hold on. They still only have 25 patients and all these beds. The beer's not only getting to me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wow, this place is spooky. It's just filled with a bunch of beds. <laughs> no, these are the minds diseased oh. that are coming in. Um, now, what time did this open? I'm sorry, what date? 1874. So everybody's crazy at this point, right? <laughs> Every woman that's PMSing is crazy at this point. Cray, cray. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> As they We're did, never going to get through this episode. <laughs> as they did, more buildings were added. Initially, the hospital was self-sufficient. The patients were involved in farming and taking care cool. of okay. livestock. So that's that's a great idea. It is said that the grounds provided everything except for sugar and salt. So okay. that's a pretty, I think, very novel. Absolutely. Back in those, I mean, that was a great idea. 
1899, the name of the hospital changed to something a little bit more pleasant. It was named the St. Joseph's State Hospital. Okay. By the early scary name. (laughs) By the early 1950s, the hospital had 3,000 patients. Oh my gosh. These included the criminally insane. These patients were so extremely dangerous that prisons couldn't house them. What? Yeah. And this is not too far from Leavenworth. That is crazy. Um, but these they couldn't hold these people. Right. They were too crazy. Right. right. There were patients who could, could be rehabilitated with treatments, of okay. course, but not these criminally insane no, no, people. No. And then there were the mildly depressed who nowadays, you know, are... Sure. Are not a problem, but in those days we didn't have antidepressants. Exactly. We didn't have those That's things. That's why I said what I said earlier. Like they just threw everybody away if they so showed any signs of oddness. Basically, they were just dumped at the hospital by God. family members who didn't want to deal with Bless them anymore. America. It's just like, uh, I am so tired of you just being so mopey. You're, you need help. You're going to the hospital. By the early 1900s, uh, with the use of new drugs, many of the patients returned to society. Okay. In 1999, hospital the hospital was turned into the Western Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center. Well, this place was open for a really long time. Uh-huh. Across the street from the facility was built a smaller mental hospital. Okay. So, throughout the history of the hospital, several experimental treatments were used on the patients as they were throughout the entire United States and probably Europe too. Some, which I'm sure were intended for a cure, but I think caused more insanity in these people. Now, you can see some these treatment devices as well as some others, the treatment devices that were used at the facility, as well as some others that were used in other places. You can see these at if you go to the Glore Psychiatric Museum, which is in a building in the old hospital. Okay. Uh, the museum was started by George Glore, who had uh, 41 years with the Missouri Department of Mental Health. So he, right. he knew what he was, was talking about there. Yes. The museum is three floors of full-size replicas of 16th, 17th, and 18th century treatment devices. Wow. There's mannequins that they are using to portray body, you know, the people. And there's also Barbie dolls that show the treatment received by the patients. So did they make the equipment miniaturized? No, like (laughs) um, if they restrained a patient, oh, okay. then they would show, show the Barbie they... doll okay. restrained. Um, <laughs> a straight jacket, they would okay. show a Barbie doll in a straight jacket. Oh, poor Barbie. But Barbie never frowns. Barbie's always Barbie's smiling. Barbie's always happy. That's right. Yeah. <gasps> That's awful. Freaky. Yeah. Imagine a happy, smiling Barbie doll. Restrained with a straight jacket. <laughs> One floor has former patients' artwork on display, which I would find wow, very fascinating. So fascinating. There's paintings, embroidery, and ceramics, and some are actually beautifully I'm done, sure. while others look like kindergarten work. The exhibits show the unspeakable treatment received by the mentally ill. Now I'm going to list some of them that are just like heebie-jeebie stuff. <sighs> okay. So there's the douching tubs where patients were drenched with ice water. Not just once, but for hours. 
Mm. There's electroshock therapy, which we've heard of. Mm -hmm. There's the hydrotherapy where patients were kept in water for hours. Oh my gosh. Here's a fever cabinet. What? This was used for the treatment of syphilis. The cabinet was lined with high wattage light bulbs, which raised the patient's body temperature. No. And this was intended to kill the virus and cure the disease. No. But if you've ever, I'm just taking the instance of being on stage and having the lights All on the stage are so sure. warm. But these, you're in All a tiny, teeny light tiny cabinet oh and they're lined with these God, lights that would make anybody crazy it'd be so hot it'd just be horrible then we have the tranquilizer chair where patients were strapped in for as long as six months what you were sitting in a chair for six months could you would that while like, strapped into the chair, uh, patients received treatments of bloodletting with leeches or knives <gasps> and had their feet placed in scalding hot water. Mom, stop. Or water dousing them back to the ice water being dumped on them. That was done also. Oh. So basically, not to be explicit here, but there's a hole cut in the chair so they could use the restroom. But otherwise, they sat there for as long as six months. Sickening. So sad. There is the... I mean, these people needed help. Yeah. Not being tied to a chair. I mean, it's just amazing. Where we've come through yeah, doctors and medication, and it, it's incredible. It's unfortunate for those who had to go through the trial period. We have the lunatic box. Patients no. were placed in this coffin-sized box in a standing position until they became calm they would stand in complete darkness for hours until they were deemed controllable, sometimes days. Oh, my gosh. You couldn't move. I, I mean, pictures of coffin. this box yeah. are just like you have to stand in one position. No. And they obviously were standing in their own excrement and everything else um, because sometimes they stood there for days. No. The O'Halloran swing. Patients were strapped into this box. She just looked at me and like gave me a smirk. I and don't then, know. <laughs> and then the box would rotate at about a hundred <gasps> revolutions per minute. Oh my gosh! The thought behind this horrific contraption was that it would improve the patient's circulation of blood to their no. brain. No. Instead, it made the patients violently ill. Well, of course. Let me repeat that: a hundred revolutions per minute. <sighs> That's why I'm hesitant about going to the museum. But It'd be interesting to see. It's it, sad, it, but it'd be interesting it, it to would. see. So, you know, creepily, as I said before, you'd see these mannequins, like the, the uh, box, the, the mannequin lunatic box too. has a hole where the head would be. Okay. And so you see this smiling mannequin's head just kind of looking out at you through this hole. Why would they hole. have them smiling? I don't think mannequins usually are frowning either. I, I know, but wrong. but they're using mannequins, so yeah. <laughs> so more displays show a few of the patient's oddities. In one glass case, there are over 1,400 metal objects. Nails, screws, pins, bottle caps, bolts, and buttons that were swallowed over years by a woman. One woman? One woman. She just swallowed all that stuff? 
Yep, she suffered from a compulsion to swallow metal objects. Oh, no. 1,400 of these. Um, How'd they get it out of her? Did but she, she obviously them or did nope. she, she died with all that stuff in her? Ironically, they did not kill her. Ironically, she died on the operating table while the objects were being removed. Oh my gosh. I mean, everything. Everything that she saw that was metal. That is so, so odd. Oh, around the block from the museum is an old hospital cemetery. The first burial was December 1874, and the Jeez. last was October 1949. Wow. I read that many times the families that brought the patients to the hospital were told to pack the clothes that the patient was to be buried in. No. This was due to the fact that more than often, the patient would never leave the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Many died alone and forgotten and unclaimed. Allegedly, there were... 2,000 burials in the cemetery, but there are no more than a few hundred headstones. So these poor people have nothing but a number. The, the headstones that are there have nothing but a number on them. There is no and name. The there's no date. Nothing. And the other ones have nothing. Oh so my these gosh. patients just, these people just died without having, I mean. My gosh. Yeah. Uh, now that I've introduced you to some of the horrific things that went on into the Thanks hospital, for making us so sad. It should come at no surprise that this place is said to be haunted. Really? There are several recorded sightings that have been reported by various people at dif uh, different times visiting the hospital, so it isn't just one account. There is a sharply dressed male entity that is seen walking around the fourth, third floor, sorry, the third floor. There is an entity of an old man meandering, meandering, sorry, <laughs> meandering around the hallways. On the third and fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> no floor mentioned. Sorry. The shadows of a man has been seen as well as the sound of what seems to be him muttering. Muttering. What's he muttering? It's like the cackling woman. He's in just Leavenworth. muttering. Mutter, mutter, mutter. <laughs> the basement is where the morgue was. Of course, the morgue has to be haunted. And this, of course, had its easy accessibility to the cemetery. It just rolled right, right out. Right, it just rolls, yeah. yeah. People have reported feeling very uneasy here. Yeah, I would feel uneasy there, too. There is a feeling that the spirits are somehow trapped in the basement. Mm. The motion detector in this area often reports a lot of activity, although... Actively? Actively. <laughs> that's active activity. <laughs> Although lively activity, there is no one around, no one in the basement. I think that is pretty much a given that there are several identified sounds coming through the building. You know, well, it's so old. Yeah. Footsteps, doors opening and closing. Several people have heard a woman's soft voice asking mm. for help. No. Whimpering, crying and screaming have been heard. And remember, I said now it's a correctional facility. Um, it's still? Yep. Okay. So, yeah. It's a rehab facility? It, the Western Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center. Wow, okay. Okay, long name. Still. Jeez. And inmates have reported hearing people whispering. One inmate woke up by his bed violently shaking, 
and he immediately jumped down from from his bunk, but there was no one in the room with him. Oh my gosh. The scariest thing that I read about, and this was reported more than once, was an apparition of a man running down the basement <gasps> hallway screaming, Why are you here? Get out! Oh my gosh. Now you want to go, don't you? I really want to go. So that is my paranormal story of the State Lunatic Asylum number two. That's Missouri for you, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Mom. That was fantastic. We would love a five-star review or four-star review. A review in general would be great. We also would love, love, love to hear your stories. We're trying to come up with something fun we want to do with all your stories. Maybe read them on an episode or share them uh, in some way, shape, or form. So email, email, email us all of your fun stories, paranormal, true crime, something that'll spook our audience. And that email is killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. We are on all the socials. And next week, Mom, what state are we covering? We are going to the frozen Alaska. (laughs) So this is fun, Mama. Yes, it was. Cheers. Love you, kid. Thank you.